Can suchness be reduced to energy and emptiness? Actually, I think look at it this way. Recognizing uh, ultimate truth as suchness is a way of giving up reductionism. It's giving up the attempt to reduce things. Okay? Emptiness. How do you reduce something to emptiness? How do you reduce something to the absence of something? Yeah. It's because emptiness always has to be emptiness of. Right. Right. You know, so that's not much of a reduction anyway. Now, uh, when you say energy, uh, there is, this is what science attempts to do, is to reduce, uh, is, is to discover the ultimate nature of reality through reduction. And, uh, you know, going back to Einstein and uh, uh, general relativity, we recognize that matter and energy are, are, are just two forms of the same thing. And so in that regard, physics has already reduced the material world to energy. You know, and so uh, from, from a materialist point of view and a reductionist point of view, then you would, you know, you would say, well, uh, it seems like uh, that we're just about to approach uh, the ultimate nature of reality by saying that it's energy. But the when we use the word suchness, we're trying to recognize that that is taking an approach that doesn't work. We're taking mental constructs and mental concepts and where the whole process of reduction is a process of reducing our conceptualizations. It's reductionism of our conceptualization. And we'll go as far as we can, but when we get to the bottom, uh, we still have nothing left but what our mind has projected. We haven't come we haven't come any closer at all than we began to the uh, ultimate nature of reality. So, so we, has, we haven't reached such, the nature. Yeah, we haven't reached suchness. We haven't reached, we haven't reached ultimate truth in itself mm-hmm. by taking our concepts and rearranging them and reducing them down as far as we can go. Right. So, uh, so try to think about going the other way. Okay, that. Let's give up. Let's give up trying to reduce things. As a matter of fact, there are some very elegant uh, logical proofs from medieval Buddhist scholasticism. It's the Buddhist version of how many angels can dance on a pin. <laughs> but they did a very good job of thinking these things through. Now that show that that basically all these reductionistic attempts are, are doomed to failure. They, they lead to logical contradictions. Right? So what we're really doing is we're going the other way. And we're saying, you know, uh, let's, let's give up reducing it. Let's give up this idea that somehow we can break things down and 
come to. I mean, the Greeks did the same thing. The, the atoms that make everything up, and the atoms are the ultimate thing, and that's that's the end. And everything's made out of atoms. Let's go the other direction. Let's approach it uh, holistically or holographically, you might say, because the idea of a hologram is that uh, that whole is contained in every part, no matter how small. And conversely, that every part is contained in every other part, or this is to say that, that every part is contained within the whole. So rather than trying to reduce things to the parts, to whatever makes them up, and try to find some substance out of which we can build reality, uh, well, actually, we can do that. But what we realize is the substance is the mind fabricates and then the mind sees its own fabrications. But in, in terms of approaching uh, ultimate reality in a more meaningful way, let's think holographically rather than reductionistically. I wanted to say something a little bit, though. Um, I love this conversation. Um, because the more I think about this kind of stuff and try to apply um, uh, my mind to all this stuff, the more stuff I get. <clears throat> so it's almost like I, it isn't almost like it is that for me, just getting quiet, watching, listening, shutting up, <laughs> um, creates a larger picture that I can't even put words to. It's the only way I can do it. I can do it. Art helps me. Mm -hmm. You know, the simple act of drawing a branch, watching it, observing it, seeing the spaces between the branches, not the branches themselves, but watching that whole thing, <clears throat> seeing that the spaces are as much of the branch as the branch itself. You know, um, it's the only way I can do it. Music comes close, if it's the right kind of music at the right time. But if I try to think my th way through, I get all tangled up and my mind gets engaged and it mm -hmm. just reduces things to an impossible, pathetic, thin <coughs> kind of something. <laughs> Does that make any sense? Yes. Well, what I hear you saying is that <coughs> is that for you, thinking about it too much doesn't help. No, it gets in the way. Gets and, in it, the and, way. and it's That's a poverty. Bad. It's a poverty of experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, really part of what I'm saying is that ultimately you'll find that thinking about it uh, only gets you so far and no further. Because, you know, the, uh, considering that the problem is <clears throat> that we are trapped by the limitations of our mind's conceptualizations, you know, then using the same conceptualizing mind isn't going to uh, isn't going to get us out of the trap. Now it may help, and it will help, and for some people it helps a lot more than others, you know, but. Uh, 
no matter whether you're one of the people that it's helpful for or useful for, or, or one of those people, more like you are, that uh, doesn't seem to be much use even from the beginning, eventually there's a point that you have to, you have to leave it behind. You know, it can take you just so far and no further. And the role it plays you know it's it's interesting I, I know you and I listen to you and uh, my sense is that you are not as stuck as many other people are in the view you might call the thingness view, where there's a world made up of things and I'm just one more thing, but I'm a special thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? um, you know, when you say, when you realize that branch is as much the space around it as it is the branch itself, that's, a, that's an indication that your thinking is already uh, not quite so rigidly trapped in the thingness view in the real world and a separate self. So, but for a lot of other people, that's not the case. They, you know, it's like, it just, it, is, it seems like this is the way it is and it's so hard to get out of that. And I find that thinking about it can be very, very helpful for people who, you know, because uh, your mind, although it can't, get you all the way, uh, you can use your mind very productively to undo a lot of that, uh, uh, it's a combination of uh, conditioning and natural predisposition. You know, the human mind is naturally predisposed to view things in a particular way. And then uh, your society, the people around you, your entire culture, views it in that way, so it's constantly being reinforced. But you can use your mind to undo that conditioning and to loosen it up and get you to the place where you can sit down and open up and have a different kind of experience. So if you can sit down and have a different kind of experience without doing that, well then, that's great. No need to spend too much time thinking about it. But if at any point you feel you're stuck, it might be help, helpful to think about it, at least to, to see if you can see where uh, <coughs> there's something about the view that you're holding that is uh, is acting as a, sprint, a constraint keeping you from, from seeing more clearly. So, to sum it all up, thinking has a role but not everybody needs to do too much of it. (laughs) Thinking, analysis. Um, Ultimately, what is most valuable uh, is observation, and that's even if you're doing analysis. If you you think of things analytically, it doesn't get you very far at all unless you take and apply what you've understood intellectually in terms of observation and real experience. So, uh, however it comes about, like 
you have a visceral experience and meditation of how the mind creates the reality. And it's go out and observe that over and over again at every opportunity in every different kind of situation you can. In other words, reconfirm it, reaffirm it for yourself. Now, it's exactly the same thing that somebody has said, well, you know, study these texts, and I figure out, I think I understand it. It means this, 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 and it's, and yeah, that's right. I'd say the same thing to them. Now, what you need to do is keep this in your mind and go prove to yourself that it's in, that it's true in practice, in the world, day to day, you know, and, and, in your in your own personal real experience, because that's what really counts. That's what's most important. No matter how you come by the understanding, uh, it needs it needs to be reinforced by that experience. As a matter of fact, I think I've told you before this. There's these stages that we go through. There's the stage of acquiring a view. And this can be a hearer, a learner, a studier. You acquire the view. You can be a thinker, or you know, or, or it can come about um, in, in those occasions of personal epiphany that might happen here or there. But then there's the second stage. And this is called, uh, in, in some traditions, it's called uh, purification by overcoming doubt. And others, it's called the stage of reflection. I refer to it very often as reflection. I'd say, you know, first, first you study, then you reflect. But or first you acquire the view, and then you overcome all doubt. The way you overcome doubt is by testing testing it, applying it, you know. It seems this way, well, let's try it out. Let's see if it fits, let's see if it really works. You know? And if you do that, then what this does is it, it begins to loosen up the hold that illusion has on you. It begins to change your intuitive way of immediately understanding your experience. It loosens the bonds of of the uh, illusion, of the delusion. And the third stage is that of direct experience. Uh, sometimes it's called the stage of meditation simply because uh, all of these different meditation methods, their whole purpose is to bring you to the stage of direct experience. Okay? So, you know, when uh, for those of you that are familiar with the precepts that we take uh, for uh, uh, on, on a Prasita day and also Pasakas that take the tenth precept, is to practice mindfulness and follow the eightfold path through daily study, meditation, and reflection. So these are these three things. Meditation is the third one. It's the one that involves the direct experience. It's the one where you where you, you take what you've what you've understood in whatever way you've understood it, you've acquired the view, then you, you've deepened it through reflection, you've overcome doubt to where there's a certainty there. And then this brings you, usually through meditation, to the direct experience that produces the permanent change.